Today we are wrapping up our series that we've been going through for the past seven weeks, I think, called Love Never Fails. And I want to take time today to sort of focus in on the idea that love never fails. We spent six weeks talking about what it looks like to be loving and, and why it is that we're loving. And I want to kind of drill down a little bit today on why it is that Paul says that love is the greatest thing, that love never fails. And so I think we need to start, though, uh, by I just want you to think a little bit with me here. It's a bit of a theological introduction to sort of set the stage for this. But I want to start by talking about the fact that we are made for love, that we were made in love by God and that we are made with the capacity to give love and to receive love, which I know some of you animal lovers might want to argue with me about this, but it's pretty much us, all right, on this planet that have the capacity like this. And it's because we are made in the image of God, that God in love when he is creating everything says, I want these animals, us, I want them to look and be like me. Now, I know our cats and our dogs, they're great. I'm just saying, let's note, there is a difference, right? That we have this ability, this intellect, this conscience, these, these morals, these ethics that develop, and the ability to be in loving relationships. And I would argue, because of the imago dei, that we are made in the image of God, because God is love, and God wants loving relationships to give and to receive love. And we are made in His image. And if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was good. Things were in proper order, working the way that they should. And I want you to think about four relationships with me of love that were happening. There was a love between humanity and God that was good. It was holy and it was, it was special. And that love and proper orientation with God leads to a love and a proper orientation of self, of knowing who we are being safe and secure and significant and feeling loved and life is good. And, and when we're healthy in here, guess what we can do? Love others. And, we, and there's, there's a relationship horizontally with the rest of humanity and, I would argue, out into the world as well, like our vocation, the way that we are to care for the earth. There's a, a loving relationship towards our, voca our vocation of managing the earth, as God called it. And because of this loving relationship with God and our capacity for it, things were good and it was ordered correctly. But when sin comes into the picture, it disorders our loves. Sin is really just disordered love. Everyone has the capacity to love, even our worst enemies. Osama bin Laden, like Hitler, like pick somebody, right? They actually had the ability to love. It was just disordered in a way that we all could see on a grand scale, right? They wanted love. They gave love. They loved things that we would say were wrong, right? And you see what it led to. But it's a disordered love. My sons and I are getting ready to go on a trip to Canada, something we've been planning for three years, which is why I'm wearing a mask because I don't want to get sick. Uh, because Canada is a little uptight about this, uh, and so I'm trying to, to, to be healthy. But in preparation for this trip, we've got all these bags, and we're trying to figure out what we need uh, for camping, and uh, we're drink, bringing a, a bunch of flashlights and all these little tiny flashlights. And I'm grabbing flashlights we haven't used in some time, and the other day I got one out, and I put batteries in it, and I fired it up, and nothing happened. And I haven't used it in a while, and I thought maybe the top was on wrong, so I'm unscrewing the LED, and I'm looking at the diode, and I'm like, these things don't go bad. Like, something else is wrong. And I take the batteries out, and what I see is that one of the three batteries was wrong. It was in upside down. It was disordered. So it wasn't working right. It was not working the way 
that it should. And this is what sin does to us. It disorders our loves, and then we don't work right. We don't operate the way that we were made to in the image of God, what he wants for us to be in healthy giving and receiving of love with him, ourselves, the world, and other people. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, right, I'm truncating a ton of of theology right here. When Jesus comes onto the scene and arrives, he comes in as a perfect human being with properly ordered love to show us what it means to be truly human to be truly a lover of God, self, others, and world. It's founded in love, right? Jesus is sent because of love. John 3.16, the verse we all, or most of us probably know, that God so loved the world that in his love he sends Jesus so that all who would call on him, all who would believe in him, those who would confess with their mouth that he is Lord, that they would be saved, that they would be sanctified, that they would be made holy, that they would have properly ordered love and be restored someday to the fullness of what we are made to be. Jesus loves humanity to the point that he's willing to love them even to the last, John says, to go to the cross for them, to die on our behalf, on their behalf, on all of humanity's behalf so that we can be reconciled to God. But I would argue, and like we talk about regularly here, not just to escape to heaven someday, though great, and I look forward to it. It is my hope. But so that in this life, while we are walking this earth, that we can have our loves reordered and properly oriented towards God, towards self, towards others, and to the world. He came to fix us, to heal us, the the brokenness of our disordered love, and to help us know God and actually know love. John says to know love is to know God. To know God is to know love. And this is what Jesus brings to us through our salvation now and into eternity. So I would argue, if you're tracking with me here in a linear way, that we were made for love, we were made in love, we were made to be in loving relationships. Jesus comes in love to show us what it means and how it actually works. And what we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 13 is love is actually what maturity looks like. It's what we're after. It's the means and the end that Paul wants us to understand. That it's love. It's all about love. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12. But I want to sort of set the stage for this. If you had shown up at a worship gathering in Corinth at the time that Paul wrote this, you would have seen a pretty lively church. They had loud, rambunctious worship. People were speaking in tongues, different languages. People were prophesying, like getting these these truths from God and speaking them over other people. Seems like people were being healed. They were taking up offerings for the poor. They were celebrating the the, uh, sacraments of the church, of baptism, of communion. They had a lot of good teachers that had come through their doors and taught them about God and the gospel. It looked good. But then you get to read Paul's letter and you're like, "Mm, but something was off. There was selfishness. There was pride. They were babies, Paul says, in multiple occasions. I listened to a a sermon this week in preparation for this from Alistair Begg. I think he's Scottish. It's babies. They were babies. He just said it over and over again. It was wonderful. If I accidentally steal from him, I'm sorry, Alistair. Like it, I, I admit, it came from you. Um, 
So there's this congregation, they look great, they look like they're doing all the stuff. And then Paul has to write this letter and say, you're way off. And why? Because they were missing the mark when it came to love. Chapter 12, he's talking about how there's diversity in the body. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. Earlier, he said, you have all these gifts represented in your church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues or different languages. Then he asks them, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles? What he's after is like, look, there's diversity in the body. We all have different giftings. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? And then he starts to flip it. But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Then all the gifts that they've been experiencing, all the awesome ministry that they think they've been doing, he says, I'm going to show you another way. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, which Paul says he has, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body, some translations say if I give my body over to the flames, or if I give, my, give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, it's kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking. Listen to all the immaturity he's calling out in them. This is what he's after. He's identifying what immaturity looks like in the church. Is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Nearly every time that word for ends is used in the New Testament, it actually means falls. Never falls off, never falls down, never fails. It never ends. I think he's bringing all of that into the picture. But as for prophecies, listen to what he says will end. Love's not going to end, but listen to what will end. As for those prophecies you're doing, they will come to an end. As for these other languages you're speaking, they will cease. As for the knowledge that you love, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, when eternity comes, when heaven comes onto the scene, the partial that we have now will come to an end. And then he starts talking about maturity. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror their mirrors back then were not good. It was dim and cloudy. It says now it's like looking into a mirror, but then face to face. Someday, he's saying, right now we're seeing like into a mirror dimly. Someday we will see Jesus face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Friends, can I just speak to the assurance that this is today for us we can only see Jesus dimly like through a mirror. We've only got part of the picture, but you know who has it fully? Him. He knows you fully. Everything about you, and he loves you anyway. Isn't that the best? Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul is warning a very dynamic 
church not to be immature due to their lack of love. They're doing the stuff. Miracles, speaking in tongues, giving to the poor, preaching the gospel, celebrating communion, doing baptism, great teachers, Apollos, Paul, Peter, all these people have come through and taught them. But he's warning them, you've only got part of it. You're missing the maturity of love. They were doing the right stuff, I would say, but in the wrong way. You ever done that? The right stuff in the wrong way? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but whether you have kids or when you were a kid, I've done this as an adult, but I'll talk about it when I was a kid. You know, my parents asked me to clean the room or something. And I don't want to clean the room. I want to play wiffle ball. I want to go with my friends. Because we used to do things outside, believe it or not. Uh, you know, we would like go and play. And, and so I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to go play with Josh. That's what I want to do. I was like, clean your room. You need to clean your room. So fine, I'll go clean my room. And I'm going to put this thing over here. And I'm going to put the clothes in the hamper. And I'm going to slam the drawer shut. And I'm going to do all the things. And I come downstairs. And I'm like, it's done. And they're like, great, thanks. I did the stuff. I did the right thing, but in a very immature way, in a wrong way way. Did the right stuff, but in the wrong way. Maybe you've done this. I did it this week. Like, just acted like that. I was so immature in some ways, my lack of love. Friends, we are on a journey. Like, the Christian journey is not meant to just look forward to heaven. It's, it's also meant to be a journey of maturing, of growing. And Paul is always calling his readers, his listeners, to be growing in their maturity. But almost every time he talks about it, do you know what he comes back to is the capstone to it? Love. Being loving, this is why he's saying it's the greatest. This is the thing that never fails. If you're going to do anything, do it in love. Do the stuff, but in the right way, in love. Love is maturity. Maturity is being a loving person, and that's why he lists those things. Of This is what it looks like. You'll know you're being mature if you're doing these things, he says. And then he gets to the end of that, right? He says, look, we know in part, we look forward to the fullness we're growing, but we're looking forward to the day that Jesus does come back and bring the fullness of life. But in the meantime, this is what's happening in this last verse. In the meantime, now these three things remain. Until that day when Jesus comes, we have faith, we have hope, we have love. We have faith in our, in our intellect. We have, we have this knowledge that says, I know, I'm going to believe that Jesus is real and that he's coming back, right? I'm going to put faith in my knowledge of the cross, of the resurrection, of the redemption that I have, the freedom that I have from my sins. And they're, they're living in this faith, the Corinthians are. They're speaking prophetically. They're speaking truth. But Paul warns them that your, your knowledge is actually starting to, your faith is actually starting to puff you up. You're starting to feel super special because you got such faith. He says, hope, we have hope. We look forward to the day that Jesus returns and, and brings the fullness of new creation and the shalom that is promised there. And in the meantime, he says, you know, we have these utterances from heaven, these, this, this language of God, these, these special tongues that are this language that people are speaking. And that's wonderful, he says. And that gives us hope that there is a future for us. And, and people are being healed. He says, that gives us a hope that the full healing is coming. But they're camping on it like it's, man, we got the fullness of God now. Look at us, aren't we special? We've got God doing miracles now. Aren't we great? And Paul's like, there's so much more to come. You've only got part of it. This isn't the end. What you're missing is love. Faith and hope are only to point to the God of love. Faith and hope and love are supposed to be building up the church in love. Look what Paul tells the Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, 
He's, he, he starts making the same argument that there's, there's different gifts, there's diversity in the body, there's all these different people coming into the gatherings. In uh, uh, Ephesians 4.11, he says this, And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, right? I mean, this is familiar language to us, right? To do what? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. So you have this maturing thing that's happening. Until what? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, meaning we are growing more and more Christ-like as the gifts operate within the church. Then we will no longer be little babies. Then we will no longer be little children. We'll no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love... Let us grow, into every, grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. He's arguing that to be a true maturing church that we are to be a loving people who are using our gifts for the benefit of others to build up the church in love. Love is the means and the end. Love is maturity. Maturity is love. We could be doing the greatest things. We could be giving all our money to overseas missions. We could be speaking in tongues. We could be speaking prophetically over each other. But if we're a bunch of jerks, Paul says it's useless. It means nothing. That should register with us. That should jar us. So many churches over the last 50 years have become increasingly all about the truth, but are really mean and unloving and spiteful and hateful. And Paul says, you're missing the mark. The means and the end is love. God is love. Love is God. When you know God, you know love. When you know love, you know God. He's saying, we should see love. You could never prophesy, never speak in tongues, but if you're loving, you're a successful Christian. This is what Paul is arguing here. He's calling them to love the one thing that never fails. And he says love is the greatest, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So I just want to process this with me a little bit. Love is the means and the end. It's the, it's the method and it's the goal. Love is the means and the end. This is what Paul wants them to understand. We talked about this way back in the beginning. Jesus says, I am the truth and the life, but what does he say first? I am the way. The way to the Father, the roadmap, but also the way, the standard. Like, in practicality, this is what it looks like, is to live in the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is love. When he boils down all of the commandments, he boils them down to love God, love others. When he tells his disciples to go and follow his commands and walk in his ways, he says it's going to look like love. See, the way of Jesus is loving. That's why if we are immature and being cruel to one another and abusive with one another and prideful and boastful and acting like little babies, he says you're not actually hitting the mark. The way that we are to do these things, the speaking in tongues, the prophecies, the giving to the poor, the being on mission, like it's supposed to be loving. Love never fails. Love never ends. If you do, right, if you do the way of Jesus in the way of Jesus, 
you're succeeding. It takes faith to believe that. Because we feel like, well, we want to be special. We want to be great. We want to be powerful. I have prayed to speak in tongues. Never happened. But I know people it has. And they're wonderful people. And I know people who have spoken in tongues, and they're jerks. Because they love that gift that they have. It's hard to listen to them when they want to speak and give wisdom into my life. Because I'm like, I hear you, but... Uh. See, this is why we need love. Love validates that, yeah, this person is walking with Jesus. This person has experienced the life change in God. Sidebar item. We believe in the gifts. We believe that they continue today. As an alliance church, we believe that there is still speaking in tongues. There's still healing. There's still prophetic words. So I just want you to hear me say that as, as a sidebar. Think, make sure you don't hear something different. But Paul is arguing to the Corinthian church and to us today that love never fails. Love is the greatest. If you do the way of Jesus, you are succeeding. So looking back over the last six weeks of the things we have been talking about, to build up the church, to be in ministry with one another out in the community, to our families, to our world, it is loving and will be successful in God's eyes to avoid being siloed and stuck in our echo chambers. It is loving and will be successful and meaningful and actually count for something if we build temples instead of towers like Adam preached about. It will be successful and meaningful for us and for the kingdom if we actually go out and love people and watch it change them and watch it change us and be humble enough to let it change us. No one might know about it, that you're going out loving people in the way you are. Might not make the cover of a church magazine. People might not hear about it in church. But it's meaningful. It's successful. It's what Christ calls us to. Moving towards people in hospitality. Going and being with people in love. That's successful ministry. That's building up the church like Paul calls us to. Listening to people. Remember we talked about this. Listening to people. Paying attention to what their needs are with love is actually successful. It earns us the right to speak the good news. Paul says this is successful ministry, not just railing truth on social media so everybody will hear it. He says, you're not doing it in love. It's meaningless. It's useless. Love doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. It's not irritable. It's patient. It's kind. And when we live lives of love, it is meaningful to us, to the world, and to the kingdom. It is what Jesus wants for us. It is what he has purchased for us. Love is the means of the mission, but it's also the end. This is what we're going towards. This is what we are moving towards in its fullness someday, is seeing Jesus face to face and being wrapped up into the love of God in a way that we only have a small part of right now that we've maybe tasted in some ways, but man, the fullness will blow away anything that we've conceived. Paul says, as we journey, as we are maturing, as we have things only in part, faith and hope remain. But the greatest of these is love. So let me ask you a question. As we journey towards the end of our lives or towards waiting till Jesus comes back, faith and hope remain, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Does God have faith in anything? 
He's God. I don't think he needs to have faith in anything. Does God put his hope in anything? Is there some future that he's looking forward to that he just hopes happens? No. But does God have love? See it? This is why love is the greatest, because God is love and will be forever. Love never fails because God never fails and goes on forever. And we get wrapped up into it in its fullness someday when we move into new creation, when we see Christ face to face and sin is eradicated from our bodies. Someday, friends, faith will become sight. Faith will become sight. And hope will become reality. And you know what we're going to see and what we're going to experience? Love. The fullness of God's presence in all of its light, in all of its glory, in all of its love. And we're going to go, holy cow. Why was I so excited about like the offering that I gave to the poor? Why was I bragging about that thing? Why was I so mean on social media? Right? It just pales in comparison to the fullness of the love of God that lasts forever and never fails. This is why Paul says, this is what's most important. This is why love never fails, because God never fails. And he has called us to love. He has made us for love. So are we experiencing it now? Are we living in it now? Are we just trusting our knowledge, trusting our gifts? So excited about, you know, the things that we can do, the truth that we get to preach at people. Are we really experiencing the love of God now and offering it to the world around us? We can taste some of it now, and it is good. But Paul calls us to keep growing into maturity. Don't get lost in the sauce of the gifts and the ministries and all these things. He says, do them in love. That is true maturity. That is the means to the end of love. That is what I would argue is fullness of life now, walking in love. Fullness of life. This is what Jesus wants for us, is to walk in love now. It is the good life. But we will someday have it in all its fullness when we will see Jesus face to face, knowing him fully, finally, in the way that he fully knows us now. Sin being eradicated from our bodies fully and finally. Finally, rightly ordered. (laughs) The flesh done away with so that our loves are reoriented and reordered to have a proper love of God the way Jesus does. A knowledge and love of self that is secure, that isn't seeking for approval from all these other things, that isn't trying on this quest for significance. A love that loves the new creation and we go out and get to manage it together. The love of one another in all of its purity. This is what we have to look forward to. This is what we were made for. This is what Jesus came to purchase for us. Are you tasting it now in a little bit? Are you exhibiting it now in increasing ways? If you're not, question yourself right now. Say, do I really believe in this God of love? Or do I believe in some religion? Do I really know Jesus? Do I really believe that he is, like fully knows me and all my mess and loves me anyway? Because that should motivate love, John says. Friends, someday faith will become sight. Hope will become reality. But love will just keep going on and on and on because God never fails and love never fails. Would you believe this with me? Can we be a church that loves one another well because of what Jesus has done for us, that loves the lost well because Jesus loves them? 
Can we actually be a people that believes that love never fails and that if we do that, if we are increasing at that, we are succeeding. We're hitting the mark. We're enjoying Jesus the way that we should be and sharing him with the way we should be with the world. Love never fails, friends. Let's believe this as we go from this place today, as we move forward as a church, as we go out to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me?